Support for Podcast by Night comes from Midnight Syndicate. To find out more about their gothic horror instrumental music, please visit MidnightSyndicate.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Podcast by Night. My name is John Long. I'm Jennifer Wolf. And tonight we're going to be talking about something that uh, we touched on last week. We're going to be discussing status. That's right, the currency of the Camarilla. And to help us with that, we have our very special guest for this ST Corner edition. I'm Patrick Thomas. That's right. Hi, Patrick. Hi, John. And Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, he's one of uh, the he's one of the head storytellers and creators of our game Pillars of Salt here in Los Angeles. A fantastic game. We we love our troop games, and uh, you know they're just his brainchild. So we're happy to have him here. I'm happy to be here. All right. So let's see. Where should we begin, Jen? Well, first of all, let's just talk about whether you're part of the cool kids or the not cool kids. Are you in or are you out? Oh, God, please don't make another Mean Girls reference. <laughs> but it's true. That's what the Camarilla is all about. Are you in or are you out? What status do you have in society? Where do you rank in the pecking order? And let me tell you, the Camarilla really cares about this kind of thing. Well, yeah, when you've got a bunch of elders running around saying, hey, you, little neonate, go clean my floors. Hey, you and Scylla, respect me. You kind of have to enforce that. And, and you in the Sabbat, when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. That's, that's right. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Thank you, Patrick, for that lovely reference to West Side Story. Musical numbers music. and everything. <sighs> but that being said, from Elder to Neonate, everyone in Kyrgyz society has a pecking order. And if you step a toe out of line, well, it's not going to end very well for you. And punishments for jumping your place, as it were, can be anything from, you know, your basic social ostracism to outright final death. It depends on who you to happen to piss off of an evening. And if you cross someone who maybe you shouldn't have, uh, make sure it's not someone who has more political sway than you do. That's right. This always comes down to whatever your level is, your ranking, so to speak, in the Camarilla. Make sure that you you know play nice with the people above you and make friends with those below you because you never know when you can throw them under the bus. Which, you know, is often. Yeah, you know, hey, you got a guy's got to live. So the funny thing about status, though, for most players who are coming into your game, whether it's a tabletop or a LARP, status is this weird concept in role-playing. It's, it's mechanically a little finicky. First of all, you're taking a rather intangible concept of arbitrary rankings amongst people, and you're trying to somehow turn that into a mechanics aspect in a game and do it in such a way that everybody has the same playing field as they're you know moving about the game so it kind of gets a little weird i have to admit i am a person who has never quite got status and that's why john and i are like well let's have a storyteller explain it because they know how to use status right so one of the kind of the, another quick hurdle for status, because a lot of people feel that they're losing their role-playing connection of, why do I have to be nice to this guy I hate just because he's important? And if you think about every day when you go to work, you don't necessarily like your boss, but your boss is, you got to do what your boss says. You got to respect your boss. And then you have your coworkers, and you don't want to bash on your coworkers too much, but you might be able to manipulate them a little. And maybe you're important enough that you have an assistant and that you can tell your assistant to do things. None of this has to do with how you actually feel about these people, but there's this very determined ranking that is occurring, and that artificiality occurs in the sex of vampires as well. I only hope to rank an assistant one day at my job. <laughs> I guess that's what my student worker is. My student worker is sort of my minion. I make them go do things. So, you know. And when your minion messes up, you, uh, you get the fault. Uh, yeah, it's very true. <laughs> That's absolutely true. See, that's why you have the minions, so you can bag on them. It makes you feel better. Well, yeah. 
exactly. I keep minions around to do the work I don't want to do. And then uh, I can smack them around. No, I never smack one of my student workers around. I I love my student workers. All of us have been that minion. Yes. And all of us have gradually grown either above or at a different part of our life. But we all know that we're moving to a different stage. And understanding that we're all at that point where there is no real way to get lower unless you're fired in real life. In the Camarilla, you really can't get lower than being a Camarilla member until you're fired from the Camarilla. And you're essentially removed from the protection of that job, so to speak. Okay, so what is status? Status, quite simply, is that thing that makes you better or lesser than someone else. Uh, That was a great analogy with the whole boss thing, you know, putting it in perspective, like you said, layman's terms. People can have either good or bad status. In the game, we consider this as a positive and negative status. The status that is positive reflects us, reflects well upon us, such as you are honorable, you are noble, you're loyal. And then there's also vulgar or untrustworthy. Those are the negative sides that kind of cast a shady eye in Camarilla society your way. Also, those individual words sometimes have like special abilities and powers based on like your sect and what's going on. Like it might be you can go talk to anyone you want without it mattering or if someone says something negative about you, they're not allowed to. So while you're actually playing in status, playing the status game, you might want to hunt certain individual statuses down to improve your character and your environment. Now, Patrick, you said that certain those words, those status labels have certain abilities in game. Uh, And Jen, stop me if I'm going to jump ahead or something, because I I tend to do that. In game, for the player, how are we supposed to instinctively, as members of Kindred Society, instinctively know someone's status? Or how, like, how, how, if I had that ability to just walk up to talk to anybody, how would that, how would I reflect that? Okay, so under... Finite Studio rules, theoretically, you instantly know the status of a member of your sect unless there's some type of alternative identity happening. So we kind of colloquially call it Highlander magic, just like the Highlander TV show. You walk in and you see the guy and you know he's important. It's the tingly feeling. It's the tingly feeling. Theoretically, in Binite Studios, if you are in front of another member of Vampire Society and you know they're a vampire, you instantly know how cool they are, how important they are, and how they relate to you. Okay, and then as as the player, how would you use that? Like, you, did, were, are they wearing a tag and you say, "Oh, look, you're you're noble," so you treat them as such? Different games will have different methods. You're always allowed to ask out a character, "Well, what statuses do you have?" You theoretically don't know how they've gained the status. There, uh, there's another skill called politics that lets you know how they gained it, so you'll know a little bit of history behind that person. But theoretically, they have to at least say, I have the status. So no one can like be, oh, I was the prince and you didn't know and you did some massive faux pas. You instantly should know. And if you walk up to a group of people and you want to know what's their status, you would have the full freedom to say, out of character, what's your status? All right. Well, thank you very much. So the thing with status is, in a lot of ways, Status is this weird, completely subjective and arbitrary thing. When you think about status in our world, why is anyone famous? Because they are. You know, we deem that person as being famous because we like their uh, music or because they're on a TV show we like to watch a lot. and, And oh my gosh, maybe they're cute. I don't know. We give them some sort of status because we as a society have deemed them important for some reason. So it's a very arbitrary thing. But in the Camarilla, they've really honed status to kind of a fine art. You can use your status in particular ways. Patrick mentioned this earlier. You can uh, use your status to kind of force issues. You can use it to shame others. You can cut, use it to cover, cover a gaffe or get a foot in the door or a lot of different things. It depends on the type of status you ha- have and how you use it. Okay, so you have it to use. How do you gain status? So you can gain status either by doing particular acts that important people found were important. Uh, You can gain status by doing particular deeds, even if other people didn't like it. Like, for example, one of the hardest statuses to gain is that you were the successful guy who killed someone in a blood hunt. The the leaders of the city may hate you, but they still have to honor you did something good. I mean, but even backing it up a step, just by being a member of the sect, you have some sort of set status. Because if you aren't a member of the sect, you don't have any status in the sect. Right. That comes down to what last time we talked about fledglings. 
acknowledgement. That's is that a status? Yes. The basic aspect that you've been released and you're seen as a responsible member of a society is that you're acknowledged. And every different sect has a different acknowledgement. In the Camry, it's called that you're acknowledged. And it, uh, that you're essentially gone before the prince. The prince says, hey, I'm cool with you feeding in the city. I'm cool with you being a vampire here. And uh, your, your problems are your problems and not your sire's problems. But status can also even just be my, the leader of my clan needs to create a greater strength in the city. So he's going to start flooding the people in his clan with status. And he's just talking them up. And these people could have done absolutely nothing good, but he needs stronger people backing up him. So he's essentially doing trickle-down economics of the status. I like the Reaganomics aspect of, of how, what you present, sir. <laughs> well, it fits right in with Camarilla society. Exactly. <laughs> and while you feel you've gained more in your return, at the end of the day, everything seems to cost more. Right. Well, <laughs> isn't that always the way? Vampiric inflation. So, uh, jumping off of that, though, the like you said, you know, you could, you're the head member of your or clan. Uh, for vampires, this is the only status that they can have. Well, acknowledged is is the acknowledged is the the most common stat. Everyone in Camarilla has acknowledged. Some vampires, that's maybe the only status they ever get because, well, they suck. But. <laughs> There's other kinds of status and other ways of gaining status. So, like, age and generation gives you a certain level of status. If you're really old or you're really potent, you're an elder, you're respected, people will give you status even if you don't necessarily, haven't done necessarily anything to earn it. You just outlived everyone else. So, hey, you get some status. So is being an elder status a status? Yes. Being an elder, you have a title, and that title has a few statuses underneath it. And that goes back to what you said about you can dole that out. You can do- it may give you the ability to give hand them out. And it's also kind of on top of just that you, you've lived so long, there's a presumption in the Camarilla also that you have a certain amount of concentrated blood, that you're, you're not just old, but you're strong. Because you could be a, a thousand-year-old guy who is the 13th, uh, 13th uh, generation, and they're not going to give you anything more than you're just a neonate in the society. Right. So with age and generation, that then that brings us down to rank and title. And like you said, Patrick, elder can be a title that you use to help with that status. Yes, but there are more titles. There are titles like obviously the prince and all the people in the court. They get special titles that allow them to have status to do special things or to award status. And they kind of create a buffer between those who don't have status. Also, Justicars and Archons, they also have specific status that allow them a little bit of flexibility because they're moving around so much. They can use their status in a way that helps them as they're navigating between various different Camarilla courts. Just to take a step back on the rank and title, you said, like, okay, so like my personal character in the POS game, Pillars of Salt is an elder primogen. Well, those two titles allow me what? So let's t- I'm going to do one little caveat. Every time you come to game, you only can pick one of those titles to use. And you ah, can't change it. Ah, uh-huh, okay. So you only can wear so many hats. Right. And that number is one. <laughs> I want to wear all the hats. All the hats. No little want, Pope try hat. No. I want a sombrero with a tiara on it. There you go, listeners. You got a little bit of kernel of knowledge there. One hat at a time. One hat at a time. So if you're being a primogen, one of the abilities that you would have is you could start giving status to your fellow clanmates to say that they've done good things. But as an elder, you have much more strength, and you essentially could say that people are like your favored pawns and that people should respect those favored pawns of yours. Aha. And... That it also makes it that if people try to like be uppity to you, you can be like, hey, well, unless you're an elder, how can you talk up to me? And that gives you a greater separation because you can be a neonate who's still a primogen, but an elder, it's kind of hard. Unless you start out with one, it's kind of hard to get there. Okay, great. And then that brings us to merits and privileges. What does that mean? So there's lots of little merits that kind of change what's going on here. Most of them are Camarilla based. In the other sects, there is not really the massive diversity of 
control with the merits. But like in the Camarilla, there's one like let's say I'm an Ancilla, but I'm I'm so renowned in the court that uh, everyone treats me like an elder. Or there's another one, let's say a bad one, like I constantly talk about Gehina, and I think that's the coolest thing, so everyone's gonna treat me as having less status. Or I have a famous sire, and people like me more because of that. These statuses, because they're merit-based, you're never going to lose them. And it automatically will pull you that much of a leg up against anyone else. So if you're trying to make a status-based character, putting in a lot of these merits will help. Oh, that's also good to know. All right. Now, you mentioned before about the Gehenna cult thing. Mm-hmm. Is that is that like a permanent negative? Yeah, if, if you're a Gehenna prophet, I believe, is the uh, flaw that you're permanently down one status any time that status is accounted. So um, you're that weird kooky guy who keeps talking about heretical shit. Right. So it pretty much locks you out from ever being able to play with the big boys, be able to have any challenge of status because you can't even use your acknowledged <laughs> <laughs> you, you are the kind of and like theoretically like i think caitiffs even have like that kind of scenario so like if you were a caitiff seer you wouldn't really be able to do anything with status because you'd be double downed it, it it's it the merits allow flavor like a lot of other things and if you're interested in the status game there's a lot of different neat things to use with that and, and that's the thing that you should think about with status it's so easy when you're looking at the page to think of status like okay i have these statuses and you have those statuses and let's let's play like status risk you know are you going to sink my battleship with your status but something to think about on just a role-playing level is these statuses are 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 ways we're trying to give a a quantifiable mechanical explanation for what your character is and isn't in court and who are they if you have the flaw Gehina prophet it's because you're the weird crazy dude in the corner who keeps talking about Gehina and nobody likes you and of course they're not going to want to work with you or talk to you so you would be down that that's why you have that stat mechanical standa- status issue. It is a mechanical way to explain a social phenomenon. Right. Like you said before about trying to make a tangible idea from an intangible thing. Yes. Now, on this kind of mechanical concept, there's also this concept about abiding status and the idea that some status gives you powers just amongst that you have it. And then other statuses are called fleeting statuses, which those, if you spend them and you use them, they're gone. It's like the abidings are almost all from titles. And you're essentially going to refresh these with merits or things like that. And you have a passive and you have a spent. The passive is just you're cool. And those cool things may be really, really cool. But there's some times where you're going to be like, man, you know, tonight I got to really burn it. And you spend that status for the night and it allows you to have a secondary ability. And, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay, so the next thing down from the uh, the merits and privileges is good works. It's actually being a help to people who can give you status. It's doing things that earn you uh, earn you status. Did you go out and do the good thing for the Camarilla? Did you go hunt that dude down? Did you uh, did you do something particularly loyal and noteworthy for the Camarilla? That's right. This is this is kind of I'd say the good works area, unless like Patrick said with the merits, if you build your character in a, such a way that the merits help you with the status game, the good works is kind of where a neonate can shine because they could definitely just get in there and be like, "Yes, sir, I did this thing, sir." Now it's also real important to note that good works is less important than making your superiors happy. <laughs> exactly. Making your superiors happy is the best good work because you could have done nothing but make them happy. <laughs> That's true. And you can get rewarded for even that. Exactly. Right. There are certain times where they can't stop you from getting it from good works, but easy 80, 90% of the time you're getting it because, because the people in power like you. Okay. Oh, yeah. So here we go. Yes. As we've talked, said before about negative status, not all status is positive. Because a kindred who is offended, someone who is out of their ranks or out of the pecking order, can feel a big, heavy boot coming down on them. Boot. Boot. And something that boot is... to the head. <laughs> if you have done something particularly offensive or even dangerous in court, 
this can gain you negative status. It's kind of up there with, again, say that you don't have the flaw Gehenna Prophet, but you still in character are like, hey, I kind of want to know more about this Gehenna stuff. Uh-oh, that might be offensive. Don't talk to the kooky guy in the corner mumbling to himself. We all know he's strange. Why do you do that? One of the other really neat things about negative status is, depending on the level of the offense, it gradually can become bigger and bigger. So if you made lots of little mistakes, it can actually eventually be like one huge mistake. Or if everyone thinks that you're the pariah of the day, they could get a whole bunch of people together who can give negative status and keep stacking it on. Yeah, that guy over there, he's weird. Don't you think so? Yeah, I think he's weird. Let's go storm the castle. I'm starting to feel sorry for the kook in the corner. Yeah, that kook in the corner, he's he's having problems. He is. Luckily, most of the time, the way that the titles work and who you can give negative status to, it's kind of in the sphere of that person's job. So like say you mess up in Elysium, the Keeper of Elysium can say, oh, I'm going to give you a negative status. Or if you were cowardly in a fight, the Sheriff can try to give you a negative status. The Prince can kind of always give you a negative status. So that kind of tips you over a little bit more. And you also can just be like, hey, the Prince can say status is not, is not an issue. We're just going to, we hate you and we're going to kill you. That's always still allowed. But remember that even if they like you, constant problems will eventually build to the point the whole court has to hate you. Wow, that's a heavy load. Yeah. On the bright side, if you do have certain kinds of positive status, you can actually combat this negative status. Now, how does that work? There are some statuses that essentially you got good, you got a good rep to start, and someone's like, oh, well, you stepped on my shoe, and you're like, well, yeah, but this shoe stepped on many Sabbat heads, so you shouldn't uh, cause a problem with me today. And then they're forced to kind of essentially double down on their aggressions against you. And there's a get out of jail free cards essentially are in the status game too. Oh, and all status, of course, like you said, this uh, tangible, intangible thing has to have a, a way to be held accountable. You have to have an accounting for all this status. And that job falls to the glorious title of the harpy or the office position. What would that be? It'd be a title. Title of harpy. Harpy of the court. I wouldn't call it glorious. I would <laughs> not call it glorious. I was trying to be sarcastic, but I was a little too excited. So it's kind of interesting that only the Camarilla does this, even though every other society does have status. And the Camarilla, because it has such an ebb and flow and it's changing every moment, the idea is there's supposed to be someone who's going to be an arbitrator. A person to say, oh, that was just too petty. We're not going to deal with that. But it's a completely biased arbitrator. Oh, sure. And the idea of the person who becomes the harpy or the influence of the minor harpies in the city, they can absolutely say, oh, you you chew bubblegum? That, that's a problem in Elysium. Well, it wasn't for that guy. It was because of him we made it a problem. So you're to punish. They can essentially manipulate the rules fairly strongly. And the power of the harpy being able to, we're going to kind of get into this in a later aspect, on top of status, there also people can control favors. And we're going to talk about this a little later. Right. Yeah. We talked about in a, a few episodes past about power plays and positioning of court or court officers. Like if you're a, spe- a particularly good prince, or of course the harpy is elected by the primogen. If, if one particular primogen really has it in for somebody else, they can push for their candidate for harpy, get their guy in the office, and then bam, it could be curtains for the other guy. It's, it's really noteworthy to know that the harpy is one of the few titles that has no prince influence whatsoever. It is meant to kind of almost be the stopgap between the absolute power of a prince. It is it is the kind of uh, legislature versus, uh, well, I guess it's more the Supreme Court versus the uh, executive, and then the Primogen Council is the, the legislative. No wonder nothing gets done in the Camarilla courts. This explains so much. <laughs> oh, I'm learning so much already. You're right. That makes Think so about much how much sense. filibuster. Oh. A lot of filibuster. <laughs> I'm not down with this filibusterness. No, no, sir. (laughs) 
So, as you mentioned, John, yes, the Harpy is the keeper of all the status. And as Patrick noted, they are that stopgap to the absolute power of the prince. There's a lot of things the Harpy can do to anyone who's, like, messing around outside their station in terms of status. There's scandals they could call. They could start nice, juicy gossip to float that around the court. All of these things are th- will affect a kindred status in the domain. So long and short is don't piss off the harpy because they will make your life difficult. That's right. And never forget, even though the harpy's one person, they have her talons, her little deputies running around, social butterflies keeping an eye on things for her. And you never you don't want to piss them off either because you don't know what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. And a harpy's not always a her. Harpy sometimes is a him. I would like to call that out because I want I want gender equality. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to Mark Reinhagen because the uh, the standard pronoun in vampire is her. Uh, gender equality. I say we use them in their neutral <laughs> terms for harpy because a harpy isn't. And for me, this is important as a woman. I'm like. Harpies get associated with women, but a harpy can be a male or a female. It is just the title given in the court, just like the prince is a gender neutral term. Fair enough. As this is also very much a podcast for people kind of getting into the game, harpy is a really strong position to be in if you're new to the game. Yes. Because a lot of direction is going to come at you, and you're going to be listening to a lot of things, but you're not going to have to know a ton of mechanic. It's going to be much more you're socially talking to these people, and you're not going to have the level of responsibilities of running a clan or running a city or running the defense of something. It is a great little kind of stepping stone of I'm, I, have a, I understand a little bit what's going on, and I want to kind of get a little deeper in. Moving towards either a minor harpy or a full harpy position is a, is a strong place for a new player to go. Awesome. Hey, can I take a quick tangent on that, Patrick? Uh, for that new player... What what would they might what would they have to do to get into that position? Say they walk into a game and they have a hey we got a new we need new court members. So if there already is a harpy there, they essentially would go around and they would discredit that person and say, oh, you know how they ruled about this on you? I would have ruled much better than that because I, I I'm friends with you, right? And they're like, well, you've done nothing for me, but it sounds like you'll do something for me, and they'll constantly push it because it's a vote of the primogen. It's a lot less, you have to be right. You have to get everyone on your side. Because of the Primogen Council, you only need to get a majority. And if you could split the vote a few ways, it's kind of easy to get in that way. Um, as long as you can make yourself either seem incredibly impartial that everyone loves that, or incredibly partial to enough of the people who will get you in. All right. And once, once you're in that position, you're hearing all the gossip. You're hearing all the stuff. It's you're right, Patrick. It's a great way as a new player to kind of start learning the ropes of how power works in a Camarilla court without having to have too much commitment. No one really is paying attention to whether a harpy is going to fail or not. They're always paying attention to the primogen or the prince. Right. And you'll be heavily bribed to get things in the way that other people want it. It's just like a man for all seasons. You know what? You can you can be bribed as a judge for whales. For whales. Sorry, rando old movie reference for those of you listening. If you haven't watched it, go watch A Man for All Seasons. So, you mentioned this earlier, but we're coming back to how, to status and how does it work. So, how does it work, Patrick? Okay. How does status work? I don't understand. So, originally, there's a concept called um, abiding and then after um, abiding status is, um, I believe it is called fleeting status. Let me just triple confirm. Uh, yes, fleeting. So abiding are things that you're going to be getting from titles. These are things you're never going to lose. It refreshes every night. And on top of every one of these statuses, you have one. You have a power just for having it. And then you have a power that you can spend it that night to kind of double down. The nature of the fleeting status are things that you've done or someone says that you're cool or someone a patron supports you. Those statuses, when you spend them, they're gone and you got to go do something cool again. Now, making sure that you always have a pool of those kind of in the background to kind of use, it, it takes time. 
And you're going to always be at that moment like, well, is what I'm going to do right now important enough for me to spend that status? And you should have that kind of give and take because you're getting permanent powers that you then sometimes have to lose for that one big shot of the night. So by night studios in their LARP mechanic uses instead of abiding, they use innate. Is that the same thing? Um, so no, innate status is the thing that you get from either a merit or the fact that you're in a, in a set. These are things ah. that cannot really be ripped from you without massive kind of storyteller intervention or you're dead. So like if my, uh, I have a famous sire, my sire's kind of always famous until he's an idiot. Um, but as long as he's in Torpor, everyone still thinks I'm famous. So that kind of cannot be eroded. And so the idea of an innate status is unchangeable while abiding based on title. And then you have fleeting, which is awarded. That's a brilliant explanation right there. Yes, excellent. And so now that you kind of, we understand like what kind of status there is, like how can you use it? Yeah, what's the mechanic behind it? So there's a lot of these. And we're not going to obviously go through all of them. That would like take an incredible amount of time. Uh, um, a whole episode, but just like the big ones. Ones that a new player would run into most often. So one of the most common statuses that someone's going to see is privileged. And this is something that all the elders have. And the biggest problem with privileged is if you try to say that a guy who has privileged is lying and you aren't important you automatically get negative status. No! Wow. The person who essentially is that important says, hey, you're worth nothing, and you're talking talking terrible about me. This guy needs to get beaten down. It even kind of goes to the point where no one's allowed to even believe it out of character if someone walks up and says something that uh, the other person, if you say that person's lying. So, like, let's say I was walking up to uh, John's character in our game, and John is a is a noteworthy elder, and I said, well, I think you uh, negotiated with the Sabbat. And you say, well, no, I didn't. I think – and I say, well, you're a liar, and that is not allowed because he's so noteworthy and so impressive in the city, I'm unable to even begin that kind of conversation. And if I say he's done things that aren't true – Essentially, he instantly can make me vulgar without having to have a harpy, without having to have any other conversation, just because that guy's so noteworthy in the city. Other than that status, one of the big problems you're going to find in the Vinite Studios book is status is written in a lot of different places. There's some generic statuses. There's some sex statuses. Then you have to figure out what title it's going to connect to. Of If you're really getting the status game, this is something you're going to want to make little quick sheets on because... It is not the simplest thing just to go flip to the page of my discipline and I know everything. This is spread about the book because of the way they kind of made it deal with every sect. And so don't feel bad about asking people questions about this. It is a hurdle that a lot of people have to have. You know, as a note to the new players, status is really complicated. Uh, I mean, we're all veteran players. Patrick has story, been st- storytelling in Vampire for 25 years. It's, we all struggle with it and it's hard to keep track of it. So if you're like, I don't know, this is scary. Should I do this? Just remember, <laughs> this is, this is a hard aspect of the game. It, it, it's, it's hard to get into the door. Once you have a little few, a few statuses and you begin to know yours, you'll then gradually know others. It's, it's not hard because when you're using it, it's hard to describe it in the book. And so much other stuff I can say, you have this, this is what it means. Because reputation is dynamic. It's a very dynamic system. And don't be afraid to get your feet wet, but it is something that is hard to just say, here's the answer. Yeah. Right. And also, don't be afraid to ask. Yes. Yes. That's our mantra. Don't ever be afraid to ask. That's right. Asking questions is good. We are here to help you. So on the other side of the whole aspect of status and rank in the Camarilla is this other very ephemeral concept that the Camarilla uses, and that's called boons. So a boon is kind of like what makes the economy of the Camarilla. What's a boon, Patrick? A boon is a favor or a promise for a favor in the future. 
or the return of a tit for tat of any type of commerce or trading because money means nothing when I can put five cents in a, in a bank account and have it grow with compound interest in all this time or, or the idea of blood, I can eventually go find everything I need if I took the patience. Having time makes individual objects less and less meaningful, but favors become much more powerful as time progresses. So kind of this quid pro quo concept of I'll scratch your back and you'll scratch mine. And that has some sort of meaning in the society. Yes. And one of the kind of great examples for this is the beginning of the Godfather movie, where everyone's here at the wedding and everyone's like, well, if you ask uh, Vito for a favor on his daughter's wedding day, he will not deny you. And everyone's going essentially to the de facto prince. And they're all saying, hey, can you help us out in these scenarios? And what the prince is saying, I'm very happy to help you out. And in exchange, you know, someday in the future, I may or may not ask for a favor. But at that time, you will reciprocate. And that is the entirety of kind of how the boon structure works. Because even at the moment in the movie where he, he's asked, I want you to go kill this person, he says, well, no, no, that's not, that's not the same. This person didn't kill your daughter. I'm going to do a lesser favor. And you're still going to agree to it. And that is essentially the communication that vampires are doing. They're going over and they're saying, hey, you have these talents and you have these skills. If you can help me in what I want in the future with my talents and my skills, I'll help you in what you want. Now, everyone would fight over what is the value of it. So game mechanic has actually made a concept of a level of a boon. So you can very easily trade them as a currency instead of, a true barter system of what is the value of anything. This network of boons between the vampires, as you said, is their currency. It's their economy and the lifeblood of the Camarilla court. Uh, and if they're ranked with the value, what are the values? Well, they start from the bottom and go to the top. So the smallest value is a trivial boon. It's very simply things that you would very quickly do for your friends or, um, even just minor aspects. Oh, can you introduce me to that person? Or would you, uh, um, hey, cover for me if uh, they ask where I am, tell them I'm, I'm at this other location. It allows you to have very minor little tasks that take people almost no time, but grow over a perpetual aspect of, um, I've done a lot of little favors for this guy. Maybe we can build a relationship. Now at this level, which is called the trivia boon again, this is the level that you should give and you should receive all day long. This is where it connects you to other people and brings you into plot very quickly. Because even if someone says, hey, can you uh, go get call this guy to me? Maybe two weeks later, I'll say, hey, well, I have this mission I'm going to be kind of doing. Can you support me in it? And it gradually grows the relationship. The next level is called a minor boon. And these are a little bit more difficult. This is like, hey, can... I know the sheriff doesn't like me, but can you go over and introduce me to him and tell him I'm I'm, I'm okay guy because I'm with you? Or um, if you could do something kind of uh, more uh, bothersome, like you'd be like, hey, uh, my car got attacked by the Sabbat. Can you uh, drive me home? Or something like that. Little tiny favors that take time but are not particularly dangerous. Now, the next one are major boons. And these are things that actually are effort or will cause difficulty in your life. For example, hey, um, I really need you to vote for me that way in the primogen vote. Or I'm, I'm having problems with my herd. Can um, I use your herd for the next three months? Or your influence is, um, I'm, I'm trying to grow in that same area. Can you make sure you don't attack me in that time? These are th definite things that it's actually limiting your growth or it's limiting what you have to do. Now, the next level is blood boons. And the easiest, simplest way to calculate a blood boon is someone's going to be actually kind of hurt by it. Now, the hurt doesn't need to be physical. That's the general concept of I, I'm going to get beat up if I try to kind of support this. But it could actually just really mean like I'm going to lose so much that I could be physically wounded. Like 
if uh, you tell Tremere, hey, uh, teach me your thaumaturgy, and that guy's like, well, my clanmates are going to beat me up and blood bond me and, and jack me up all day. And you're like, well, man, I got this blood boon on you. That sure sounds like you're going to get messed up. Hey, let's kind of work this out. Um, and the next one, and the very kind of the most generally considered final one, is the life boon. Of, it is a life or death scenario that I'm going to do to support this guy. And it almost kind of gets to that kind of Asian thing of like, oh, you saved my life. Now I, I, I have to kind of do everything in this kind of colloquial aspect you always see in those movies. Um, yeah, I have to follow you everywhere and serve as your boon companion. This is my boon companion. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I'm sworn to carry your burdens. Uh, <laughs> as we've said that there are levels of boon. And then there, before this, we talked about status. Does the boon and the weight that it carries change in value depending on who either grants it or owes it? Theoretically. Um, if you're asking an elder to do something and you're a weakling, the elder can say, well, you should have been asking weaklings. If you want to get me to do it, it's going to cost you more. And all of this is kind of negotiable. And the arbiter of what the answer of what the negotiation is, is the heart. So I might think I did an incredibly valuable task, but that guy might be in with the harpy so closely that the harpy's like, oh, no, that was a trivial thing. You could have done that any old time. And I could essentially be manipulated to do a lot and receive very little. And you said the harpy being the arbiter. So they're sort of like, hey, Mr. Harpy or Ms. The harpy, if you have, Thank I, you. I did this and they told me to do this. Who do you think, you know, owes what? Exactly. The harpy essentially comes out and says whatever they think and whatever they think is law. Holy cow. Um, and there really isn't a uh, appell- appeal. <laughs> if, uh, if you don't like it, you got to find another way to deal with it. And that's the superpower of the harpy is really when it comes down to boons. Status is nice. Status is like, oh, okay, everyone's kind of doing that. But being able to control the entirety of Camry's economy is incredibly powerful. Right. Well, that leads into, again, another – the harpy is a very important position. This leads into the next step of the harpy also keeps track of the accounting, the exchange of boons. Yes. Theoretically, you there's no magic Highlander magic for boons. I don't know if that guy owes me a boon. I don't know what's happening. So in the real society, I have to make sure people publicly know about these things because we might have a secret deal that you're going to support me, but we're not going to advertise it. And then there's actual boons where we're going to advertise and we're going to be able to build kind of a structure with that. And Theoretically, that list is a tangible in-game object that could be manipulated or destroyed. Right. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the harpy carry around a little notebook. Yes. And it just takes one dominate to get an eraser out. <laughs> <laughs> no! Oh. Wow! I lost my book. Has anyone seen it? No. Always no. use pen, future harpies. Always use pens. You brought up an important point with uh, secret uh, nego- secret boons that you're between you and another person or party of people that you keep to yourselves and one that you make known to the harpy. Because officially, a boon isn't really recognized unless the harpy has it, because who's going to verify it? I mean, it's your word against theirs. That's part of the role the harpy plays of... Well, I know that Patrick recorded this boon on John, and I have it here, and it's for this much. So I can verify what Patrick is saying. If the harpy doesn't have it recorded, then it's your word against his. And then, you know, how do you how do you enforce that? How do you make them carry out the boon? Right. It's the catch twenty two. If you want it to be legal, you're throwing it up to see what the harpy says the value is. If you want it to be secret, it's the value to whatever the other guy will agree to do. And then the price can either go up or down from there. Yes. And the nature of boons and keeping people like a lot of new players have an issue where if I give so many boons, now my boons have no value um, because everyone has a piece of me. But 
the idea is you want to give a lot of little ones and that get you ingratiated in people to do big favors for them. That is kind of the, the way you want to kind of turn it. You don't want to be caught having everyone save you because it's going to take you a long time to pay those off. So be careful who you give your favor to. That's the moral of the story. That's right. With they carry so much weight and significance within kindred society, it is it's it goes beyond uh, my my word is my bond. It's it's it is the gold coin of the realm. You you have to abide by it. So on the your your word is your bond, a harpy has the ability to actually say that someone has not upheld their word. And they actually are given this very negative status called Oathbreaker, which uh, definitely makes them ostracized and have a big problem in the court. Well, I mean, obviously, if Boons are the lifeblood of the Camarilla court, this is how their economy works, per- as, as they say. If you can't trust that a person is going to uphold the Boons that they've, they've cast out, then the economy is at risk. I mean, how do you know anyone's word is worth anything unless they abide by it? Right. Which I, I, I like to see that the game does account for that. Like you said, with the Oathbreaker status, it's sort of that. Is does does if the Harpy awards that, or rather, gives doles it out, is that another aspect of the Highlander magic that everybody just knows? Hey, that person's not their word's no good. Yes. Everyone would know that that person's word is no good. Well, there you go. It's, it's like one of the worst negative statuses you could gain. Right. Don't be oathbreakers. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. By not keeping your oath, not only are you undermining all of the Boone economy, but everything about you now is called into question. Any information you've shared, your reliability... Um, I mean, all of this now makes people kind of look twice at you and you kind of risk being ostracized by the court. So you really don't want to be an oathbreaker. Right. All of this comes back to the idea we have to emphasize that the boon is an agreement between the two kindred and you are both present to agree to it. Another thing, if you have to make sure the guy is going to keep his word, because let's say he's kept his word between me and John, but then... Uh, let's say Jen um, doesn't keep the word. I don't keep my word to Jen. When I become a, an, a boon breaker, all my boons are gone. Whoa. Given and received. Really? Holy crap. It's pretty, it's really bad. Okay. But going along with that, say that something they're extenuating circumstances. Are there cases where, Boons, because can boons travel with you if you have to go to another court? What happens if the person dies? Okay, so theoretically, if it goes to another court, it should be worldwide, and it should be forever, and it, even to the point of it could have been some deal made even before the founding of the Camarilla. Wow. Okay. What about what about other sex? Now, other sex. Most the biggest problem is. Most of the other sects are based on a fundamental idea of going against the, the idea of the status. This is the thing that they're fighting. The Anarchs don't like the idea of all the status game and all this boon game. And the Sabbat feel that this is the tool to control you with the Elders. But they're also vampires. And they're also willing to do whatever's necessary to succeed in their own machinations. So there's no way to enforce these types of rules. But they may try to take a boon. But they're normally going to be like, well, you know, it can't be enforced. Why are we doing this? Let's just make it a gentleman's agreement. Theoretically, though, they could receive or accept any boon. But there's there, there's no heartbeat connection. There's no validity to it other than the oath of these two people. So essentially, you may or may not ever be able to collect on that. Yes. Now, in the lore, there is times where they talk about that there was boons gathered in the Dark Ages for certain people, and then later on, some of them went to the Sabbat and some of them went to the Camarilla, but they spent those boons, and they were able to do this massive influence. There's no mechanical way they did that. It's just that there was a reputation that people didn't want to have a problem with it. Letter of the law, there's no way that a person in another sect can be forced to uphold a boon. 
So be careful when you're making those booms with uh, those La Sombra over there or those Giovanni. Because they may not be so interested in paying it back. Hey, but if you make a deal with a follower of Set, I mean, they're trustworthy guys. So Toad's trustworthy. Especially since the first deal was to drink their blood. Just once. Just once. Just once. Yeah, first time's free. First time's free. So here's a question. We now talked about vampires and other sex. But let's say you made a deal with another kindred and then something happens. They die. What happens if you had a whole bunch of boons out on that person? So letter of the law, dead's dead. You're out of luck. Now, some people might say, hey, you know, this guy was working for me. I am choosing to take some responsibility. There is no enforcement of that whatsoever. Theoretically, a person who's like, hey, you know, this guy was my boy and my boy went and did all this stuff. I don't want bad reputation from his actions to come back to me, so I'll pay off some of his debt after he died. That is entirely a role-playing thing. There is no mechanic that is encouraging that. But if you're ever in that position where someone who's working for you gets knocked off and they owed boons, it allows you to regain those connections that that guy had. Hey, sure, yeah, you know, I'll do those favors for you because, you know, you did favors for people who supported me. And you're going to constantly then enrich positive feelings. If they feel that you did everything through a middleman and then you had the middleman killed, and then you're like, hey, I don't know anybody, nothing. It's it's going to create a problem. So absolutely letter of the law, dead guys can't pay boons. But sometimes it's a little bit more complicated than that. So one of the uh, aspects of owing someone a boon is that, of course... That boon is an investment in you. Um, so if it's a pretty large boon, I would think, let's just say that you had a, I owed you a pretty large boon. It would be in your best interest then that you see that I stayed alive so uh, I could repay that boon, right? Exactly. No, it's it's like I'm investing in a business. I'm gonna I'm putting money in the business. I'm not going to work to have the business fail because then the business will never pay me back. This also goes hand in hand with the idea that this is part, this is the heart of kindred society. This is part of that thing we talked about a couple episodes ago about the, the foundation of the Camarilla and how it's, it's, it's order from chaos. It keeps everything from devolving into the, the beasts that they, that they really are, but no, 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 we're, we're still humane, right? Well, you're working for each other's mutual protection in theory. So... You may not necessarily like each other, because most of the time you don't, but you realize that another person's usefulness is um, is much more important to you and outweighs anything else. So you're not really willing to risk the investment. But then there's always that point where it's time to cut your losses. That, that point always comes. It does. It really does. I've been on both sides of that scenario where you've put out so many boons and you're like, well, at least people are going to want to keep me alive. So I pay them off. And then they're like, eh, it's not worth it anymore. We don't think you're going to ever pay off enough. And all of a sudden uh, you're left in the cold uh, when uh, bad guys are coming. Um, and there's other times where you've put out just the right amount and people think you have a lot of strength, even if you don't. And everyone's like, oh, well, we got to support him for power because the boon I paid that Ancilla, now if he becomes prince, is going to be a much more valuable boon to me. So of my own accord, I'm going to support that guy for power. Right. Keeps things nice and tidy. So it's all about working the system, careful how you invest in it, and who's got what status in the court and how do you play it? Status and boons. The complex web that everyone weaves in the Camarilla. One of the things I've been uh, kind of bringing up the last few times we've been recording is pop culture references. What are things that we can point new players to that are great, I don't know, non-vampire, or even could be vamp about vampires, but they're just great non-vampire the masquerade examples to kind of draw from on how does this whole thing of status and boons work? Um, so definitely The Godfather, as, as a, all, all the movies of it, is a really great reference. 
of a secret society that has to have its own type of policing and structure and connections of who's important in status and title and who I've done favor for and who I'm going to support in the future. Okay. Any other examples you have, John? The only example that comes to mind as far as negative uh, status would be the movie Collateral because it's a guy collecting on debts and those debts are being paid with final death. And sadly, I hate to be also a broken record, but there is uh, many examples of Game of Thrones status. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Always Game of Thrones that. is rife with it. Just go watch any episode with like Peter Baelish in it. You're good. Um, oh, absolutely. I'm going to call up my Bannermen. Oh, those ones don't come. Oh, there's a boon that you're going to marry my daughter. You choose not to do that. Oh, we're going to have a problem. There's a lot of it in Game of Thrones. I know we keep bringing up Game of Thrones and I know you guys are like, really Game of Thrones again. If you haven't seen the show and I can't believe you're not one of the 1 billion people who have who saw the last episode of Game of Thrones. But honestly, go watch the show because it teaches you all the things you want to know about how does status and boons work in a feudalistic society. This is the Camarilla. But like, I don't know, House of Cards, I think, is a great example. Like One of the, actually the best modern examples which I hadn't thought of is Billions. Billions is a show where it's showing status and boons in two entirely different societies how they interact and how they have conflict with each other in some of the most outstanding ways. So if you've never seen that, that's a great show to watch where like game of Thrones, it's like too weird. It's all like all fantasy and, and all this is, and, and uh, I, I think that house of cards is too political. This is a financier and an attorney and how it essentially works with these guys doing boons and status growth in everyday living society. Oh, excellent. Good. That's a good recommendation. And a different one too. So, yeah, and a different one. It's I'm like, and it's not Game of Thrones <laughs> so, uh, or Mean Girls. I know John's so tired of me dropping Mean Girls. Um, so, I, I feel that pretty much covers uh, status and boons in the Camarilla. And anything else? Any wor- words of wisdom to share with us, Patrick? The the biggest thing I'd like to to kind of say is. It is something you're always going to be involved in, even if you don't know. And it is something that a little bit of investiture is going to give you a lot of return. Because I've seen a lot of players, they come to me and they're like, well, I didn't want to take that boom because me owing people is dangerous, right? And I'm like, oh, not really. And other people are like, well, I can't, I, I can't talk to anyone because I don't have the right statuses. And I'm like, well, then you can either invest in those statuses or talk to their subordinates and kind of manipulate that. The status game is intentionally kind of meant to make you more included, but a lot of people feel that it is these big uh, gates that stop them from being involved in stories that they want to be. And there's always a little hole that you can sneak past those gates. The fun part is finding the hole. Yes. Absolutely. And I love the idea that with the trivial boon expenditures, as we've discussed, give you a way to find those loopholes you know you can hey buddy over there i saw you talking to that guy trivial boon to introduce me yes yeah yeah it, it i i'm glad you mentioned that because i feel like people don't really understand the true value of the trivial boon and what you can do with it like and how that gives you a certain cachet in the court especially when you have none one of the classic sayings is you don't give a boon to someone who has no boons because you don't trust him. If they already are locked in the economy with 10 other boons, then you know he's going to keep his word because he wants to make sure he doesn't lose his. A guy who isn't moving back and forth in the boon economy is not someone who you normally want to invest in. It's like not trusting a person who has no vices. Yes. Good advice. Okay, well, everybody, that wraps up our boons and status ST corner. Thanks again to Patrick for coming aboard. Thank you for having me. Um, your uh, your next uh, one is going to be on the uh, different clans of the Camarilla, and we're going to start with the very, very first clan, which is also the newest clan to enter the Camarilla, which is Clan Asimite. Clan Asimite! Yes. That'll be fun. Yes. 
I'm so excited. We finally get to clans. Get to the clans. It is also particularly noteworthy because Clan Asomite in BNS has major changes. It is the clan through history has so much. If you played Old Vampire, things might be different. So it's a really important episode to listen to. Yeah, so please come listen to it. As someone who's currently playing an Asomite, if you have have played Asomite in the past but haven't played it under BNS, I think it's a great chance to come and listen to see what's changed. If you've never played Asomite and you think you know what the Asomites are all about, come listen to this episode because you know what? You know nothing. <laughs> That's right. Secrets from the mountain. Asomites are closer to a sect than a clan. And yes. it's, uh, it's important to gather all those determinations. But thank you very much for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. Yes, thank you very much. All right, everybody. Well, we will talk to you next time. Remember, I'm your host, John. I'm Jen. And I'm Patrick. All right. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye. And if you want to get a hold of us outside of our normal podcast hours, you can find us at Podcast By Night on Facebook. You can also find us on Twitter at By Night Podcast. Or you can email us with any questions, thoughts, uh, opinions, you know, anything you want to communicate to us. You can do that at podcastbynight at gmail.com. <laughs>